Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back to the Addiction (laughs) Connection. Yes, this is number 37. Yes, and Heather has pulled together a little something on bacterial infections with IV drug use, and sadly, uh, the actual PowerPoint is all pink. Exactly. Which will make it impossible for me to ever give this talk by myself unless I switch it. And that's the point. I could change it, but I kind of figured that when you're talking about IV drug use and infections, you think infection looking, and that always looks inflamed and pink and red. So I went with pink. All right. Although, anyway, so this is going to be part one. So we're going to kind of go through the risk, the background of why bacterial infections are so important with IV drug use. And again, this is the bacterial. We're not going to discuss HIV or any of the hepatitises or viruses. Um, Might touch on it, but not focus on it. We're going to go through some of the skin and endovascular infections, and then we'll do part two next week, which focuses on the pulmonary complications. Even though this is IV drug use, there are pulmonary complications, as well as some very, very weird, rare things I would have never even thought of. And I probably knew them, but <laughs> you did not. I mean, they're, they're infections you've heard of. They're just more rare and have a lot more morbidity and mortality. So Some of the background really is interesting when you look at really 5% of the global population. So that's like 200 million people use illicit drugs. Illicit that's, drugs. That's pretty crazy. And, and actually, if you look at the U.S., 8.2% of the U.S. population, 12 and older. So that's what, 19 and a half million people. Yeah, in the last 12 months have used illicit drugs. There you go. So if you look at that, if you look at just the IV, so that whole 200 million was just illicit drugs in general. But if you look at just IV drug use, 13 million people worldwide in the last 12 months. And so obviously this varies plus or minus, but that's very Mm. high. Wow. So if you look at active current skin infections, so... We're talking just skin infections related to IV drug use. At any given time, there are roughly 21 to 32% of people who are actively using IV drug use have some type of a skin infection. Man. That's like one out of three to one out of five. But but really over two-thirds actually have a lifetime history of infection. So, I mean, it's like sooner or of later it's going to get infection. you. Just skin. Skin and soft tissue, I should say. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. most common infections you're going to see are abscesses, cellulitis, or both. Yeah, it's so. funny that this study that you, you quoted here is from Amsterdam on skin infections. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They do refer to... Because everything's is, legal there, right? There are, yes, everything's legal. But if you look at the data, especially in this article of, you know, the introduction section always talks about the background and all this stuff too. But it's really comparable around the world. So it's not just Amsterdam where everything's legal. So that's very interesting when you start talking about should we legalize everything in the United States and or Minnesota. It doesn't really change infection things, even though legal places you'd think would be lower. Yeah. I mean, that's always the reason that they talk about doing that is less infection, you know, the clean needles, the clean place to do it, supplies. Correct. Mm. Anyway. But an abscess every three years for injection drug use. So... Every three years, one in, one abscess. 
Now, some of the data is a little bit hard and probably actually underestimated because a lot of these skin infections, people just kind of self-treat. I mean, your body is either going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, your body takes care of itself or people, you know, use whatever antibiotics they had left over, use any type of topical, like triple antibiotic, we'll get rid of it. So a lot of them don't even present that you can even document. Mm. So. And, and like you'd expect, and, you know, any type of education you've had is the most common infections are ones that are just part of your normal skin flora. So bacteria that normally lives on our skin that doesn't go through the skin unless there's some type of a traumatic, you know, needle coming through, which is why, you know, you go get lab drawn and blood drawn. They always, you know, wipe down your skin so you don't have this happen. Um, and so most common is staph. Most common is the MRSA, which for infection drug users, so that's the methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, and we'll kind of get into what makes that happen. It looks like the group A strep, though, can be a nasty deal. There's Yeah, there's two different types. So the non-invasive group A strep are the things you think of. This is the strep that causes strep throat, tonsillitis, ear infections, sinus infections, some impetigo. But? But there are much more invasive ones. Necrotizing fasciitis. I don't want that. No, it's very bad. And, you know, toxic shock. So strep toxic shock. Say that fast. You can't. I don't know what I was watching. One of those doctor shows recently and a pregnant lady got necrotizing fasciitis after like brushing up against something metal and other, I don't know, but But it's fast. There's a lot of very unusual drugs though, or excuse me, unusual organisms. Yeah, so you can, especially in outbreaks. So if people are using together and or sharing needles or just even kind of in that same environment, uh, Clostridium species, Pseudomonas species. Um, and so those are the things you think of. If, if there's an outbreak of any of this in any type of environment, you really got to start thinking what type of things are people all doing together? Yeah, I think Pseudomonas, whenever I hear somebody say Pseudomonas, I think of how it smells. And as a medical student, yeah. You walk in that room when you know that's pseudomonas. Correct. There's this really, really awesome study out of Denver, Colorado that we are actually going to do a whole podcast on because the way that they broke down the skin and soft tissue infections was amazing. They break it down to the exact type of drug. Um, so a little bit of a, a sneak preview is black tar heroin is much more risky when it comes to infection drug use than literally any other thing you can inject. Well, I mean, if there's tar in it, I would guess that's probably a problem. (laughs) So we will get to that study um, in the near future, but it is super cool. So what makes someone more at risk of getting a bacterial infection when they're using IV drugs? The first thing is if you're inexperienced. So people who are injecting for the first time tend to get more infections. And whether that's just because they're not doing safety precautions or somebody else is helping them with it because they're afraid, they are much more at risk. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting, too, you know, some of the different ways people do things, the the skin popping, right, the subcutaneous injections, all those kinds of things can also give a little higher risk. And that's part of the reason with that is that people who've used IV drugs a long time will often have veins that you just really can't access anymore. And... In the next podcast, when we discuss some of the other more rare things and some of the ways to kind of help mitigate the risk, we'll kind of talk about that and how to prevent the vein damage. I'm confused by uh, speedballing would give you a higher predisposition. Well, it's when you're mixing two drugs. So anytime you're mixing any substance, 
your risk of infection goes up. You know, when you're preparing the drugs to use, you're cutting them with other things. And so when you're mixing two drugs, there's a process there where you're mixing them together that increase contamination. Yeah, and I think some of these things are, you know, pretty obvious. I mean, the more times you inject, the more risk it's going to be. And of course, we see people that we're often injecting three, four, five, six times a day. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the more you do it and and really not cleaning well. I mean, let, let's face it, how, how often do people you know, go wash up or use alcohol, probably not often. Right. And then again, like you said, they, they'll often use saliva. Um, yeah, licking the needles. Licking yeah. the needles. Um, and, you know, the reason people always say that they lick the needles, it helps. They state it says it burns less when it goes in, but think of all the bugs. You have more bugs in your mouth than dogs do. So, yeah. Anyway. And I think and that, that little thing with booting is interesting. I think interesting. That so cool. I have, not, I have not read much about that. I previously. haven't really talk to patients about that. Yeah. And basically I would think that they are, they're flushing and pulling blood in and pushing it back out just to get every little bit of the drug out of their syringe. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So increases infection. So when you're talking about people who have the more scary infections, the more invasive infections, um, some of it just seems very kind of common or obvious. Um, People who are in prison in jail. um, And part of that's just going to be who knows how they got the substance into the jail? Who knows what it was cut with to get it into the jail? What are they using to solubilize? And you, you know, your your access to anything clean and sanitary just goes way down. Yeah. So I think lots of different ways you can be predisposed. And of course, there must be some of these bad invasive infections. Tell me more. What are you referring to here? Well, the increase in invasive infections. Oh, well, we were just talking about that. So <laughs> prisoners, the military recruits, men who have sex with men, people who inject crystal meth. Um, something about crystal meth increases, and I think a lot of that has to do with the inflammation. Um, it creates a lot more inflammation, a lot more burning. And, you know, patients will say it hurts. They mm. don't love the feeling of injecting meth. And so um, it causes more inflammation. So you have more inflammation, it, and we'll get to that. What It causes more infection makes the skin and soft tissue more susceptible to infection when it's inflamed. Mm. So we're going to kind of shift now into the different skin and soft tissue infections. Oh, and there's a million, Mm -hmm. million different ways to have trouble. Just the plain old abscess, run of the mill. Gross. Boils. So Mm. I never really, you learn about the difference between boils and carbuncles, which is just weird. Boils have hair follicles, carbuncles do not. Isn't that weird? I usually don't look that closely. (laughs) Nor do I. yeah. I just call it all an abscess yeah. personally. And then of course you, the next step up is kind of that cellulitis look where it's a larger area expanding. And then when you see impetigos, you have that yellow crust thing. You almost always got to think MRSA in that situation. Yeah. And so, and then styes, you know, in the eyes, you know, you wouldn't think this, and this isn't necessarily the IV drug risk, but I had to put it in here because I would never think people who have frequent styes are using substances, but a lot of that comes from snorting. Um, it can get up through the lacrimal duct as well as heavy smokers of substances because it just causes a lot of inflammation to the mucous membranes. So something I had never thought about, but something to think about. So abscesses, what are abscess? A lot of inflamed tissue, bacterial gets beneath the skin, often has cellulitis involved. You need to drain it. Often will also need antibiotics. Um, if you suspect a person who is using IV substances, you're going to want to give them the antibiotics, not just drain it, because a lot of the issue is going to be, of course, follow-up and, you know, monitoring, and are you going to be able to pack things over and over? Who knows? Yeah, well, will they come back to keep getting it packed? Correct. 
I think we should talk about MRSA. Go for it. You know, this is one of the things you're going to see in this particular group. And so, you know, it's going to look pretty similar to other abscesses. Uh, you know, how many times we have people come in and they think, oh, I got bit by a spider. Uh, but it's not. It's uh, it's an abscess and it's MRSA. I wonder what the rates of actual spider bites are compared you know, to the rates of MRSA, for instance. I, I would say, well, if you saw the spider bite you, then I'm then I'm going for it. Or you woke up in the middle of the night and you had spiders all over. Or if you were had your hand in the bananas at the grocery store and you got, well, you know, some some of the different spiders come. The brown recluse comes in the boxes that come north. Oh, gross. Yeah. They're, that's actually a thing in grocery stores. You you would know that. I keep forgetting. You yeah, used worked to in a grocery store. Worked yeah. at a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then you got fired and rehired in the same day. Yes, I did. <laughs> So people who get MRSA, it's more common in people who have a history of MRSA, people who live in high-risk living situations. So this could just be um, they're in and out of, you know, um, how come I'm blanking? Oh, homes where there's a lot of people all living, they're in and out of shelters, um, the environments might not be as clean. Um, so just more that unstable housing. And then obviously you got to think of it when they're not responding to common antibiotics. But I think the threshold for starting a person who has known infection or IV yeah. drug user, you're just going to want to kind of go right to the higher it strength seem, antibiotics. Yeah, and it seems that often people have had the history of MRSA or family history of MRSA, and they just have an angrier look. Sometimes you just look at it and you think, why not the n- patients, the yeah. infection. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not just go right to the drug that's going to get Work. MRSA in some of those Plus cases? Again, follow up. If you give them an yeah. antibiotic, you're not necessarily going to necessarily see them back how do you you know if it gets worse all right so the other in, uh, infection we talked about a little bit this group a strep again typically causes just your throat uh, skin 15 percent of people just kind of carry strep usually causes these milder severe infections but then again when it ca- or my, can cause milder severe usually when you think about it you think of your strep throats your ear infections but when it causes severe it actually is a reportable thing um, especially when you're starting to get necrotizing fasciitis, toxic shock. Um, this will often be found in, you know, hospitals and sepsis type patients. So do you want to discuss necrotizing? Have you ever seen necrotizing fasciitis in person? I have, sad deal. Uh, it was actually, I don't even know what it was from. Uh, a patient many years ago came to the ER, had and he had terrible pain. And uh, by the time I got him helicoptered out, he was hypotensive, pretty sick, he ended up losing, I believe, his arm. They lose stuff very fast. Yeah, it was, it was uh, really pretty um, remarkable. I think usually when you're doing like a necrotizing fasciitis, you do a lot of debridement, or a lot of times people jump right to amputation, get rid of the limb that has the infection because you go down and you go down, and it's just kind of this tracking in this fatty tissue around the muscle, and you don't really know how far it's going to go. Um, and it happens quickly, like you said. Yeah. Um, this guy had had just a little, um, a little soreness uh, in the morning, and within hours was in excruciating pain and hypotensive. Gross. So yeah, it was scary. Not good. So yeah, that's an important one to always think about. And death can occur rapidly, twelve to twenty-four hours, because it just goes. And then the last one that we had talked about was. Strep toxic shock syndrome. Man, that's hard to say fast. It is. And that's life-threatening as well. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of major organs just kind of shut down very quickly. But this one I think is really hard because 
They have vague symptoms, flu-like symptoms, muscle aches, diarrhea, vomiting, confusion, coma. So kind of looks like COVID. At I was least. just going to say, yeah, <laughs> well, he's got COVID. Whoops, um, I missed it. You know, but fevers, low blood pressure, possible rash associated. Um, if it's, you often associate this with, you know, the, the old-fashioned tampon usage, but can happen um, more frequently just with infection drugs because you're all kind of in those tight quarters. So now how do you treat these? Yeah, well, you're hoping that they're uncomplicated first. <laughs> you're hoping it's just a little infection and not these last two things it's we just, talked about. It's just a small flesh wound. So antibiotics, just your basic antibiotics that would cover staph and strep. Again, low threshold for switching to antibiotics that treat MRSA. Complicated, you're going to give them an IV, broad spectrum, hit them with everything you've got. Um, necrotizing fasciitis, abscesses, pyomyositis, so infection down to the muscle. You're going to want to cover a lot of other things, not just the MRSA and the, and the strep. You're going to want to cover gram negatives. You're going to cover anaerobics. You're going to want to get surgery involved yesterday. Yeah, you're going to want to have that number of the helicopter written on your hand. Unless you're in the site that has yeah. where the helicopter lands, then you're just going to call the surgeon and Come in ID. And get so. And these Anim- people need to be treated a long time. Up to six weeks if you're having mm-hmm. one of these complicated. If it's a less complicated, 10 days is probably appropriate. Um, but some of them will need two weeks of IV therapy. If they have staph in the blood, so if they have you know sepsis or SIRS, you're going to want to um, get an echocardiogram to check the heart, make sure there's no seeding in there, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Yeah, and I think you know some of the things that we have seen quite a bit of is the musculoskeletal infections. I've had... I've had a couple of these that have been pretty tragic. Um, you, can, you know, you can get septic arthritis, you can get osteomyelitis. And actually, I had a guy with osteomyelitis in his C-spine. Yep, that can happen, and, vertebral spine. Oh, my goodness. Was it a mess? The only thing I haven't seen, it, SI joints, I haven't seen it there, or the sternoclavicular, but these are common areas. Yeah. And I think that's probably just because depending on where you're injecting, that's the first major joint from an appendage, Yeah, if you think about it. So. Yeah. Usually this comes from the infection in the blood kind of landing itself in a joint. Um, and then it can go to the soft tissue and the skin surrounding. They might only have pain. They might not have fever because it's kind of this encapsulated area. Um, yeah, my guy showed up uh, at a different hospital in severe pain. Severe pain. He had a horrible pain in his neck and basically destroyed, I think, C6. Yeah. Something. So the big um, injection sites that are more high risk, the jugular vein, which they call the pocket shot, um, femoral vein, they call that a groin hit. These are, we'll get to that later on, but why they're more, um, obviously the location is scary, but we'll get to kind of that and why they're more high risk areas. Um, and then often these will have a lot of different types of bugs there. And depending on the joint, they usually have to go in and clean it out. Um, when I was in residency, I had a guy that had recurrent, um, joint, in his hip joint from infection drug use or injection drug use, excuse me. And they actually ended up putting a bacterial spacer in there because he wouldn't stop injecting and it just kept going right back to that hip. So he had had a hip replacement, I should back up. So they took out his normal hip thingy and put in the bacterial spacer. Wow. It didn't go well. Hmm. All right. And of course, the place you don't want it to go. To the heart. Your heart. You know... One and a half to three, about three and a half cases per in th- per thousand per year of injection drug users. Sounds low, but man, that's pretty high, actually. That's just the risk annually. I'm trying to think. We've had 
One of those, two of One those. One of them. She actually got lucky, and she she quit okay. using anything, and she ended up getting a valve, of course, but yeah. um, has done remarkably well. Yeah, so it's 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 relatively common, and even in a in an area rural like ours, it could sure happen. So, and you know, it it's increased. You have increased risk if you had infection, obviously, at other sites. Staph aureus is always one that makes a little bit higher, and boy, if you've had this once. It may come back and get you again. Correct. Higher risk, different things. If you inject cocaine, it increases your risk, which I never would have thought about because that's usually the vasospasming. But for whatever reason, everything goes to the heart with cocaine. And then if you also have co-infection with HIV, if you don't have HIV in this one study, 3.3 cases per thousand. If you have HIV, almost 14 cases per thousand annually. Wow. So don't do that. Um, other infections you can get within the, the bloodstream or in endovascular areas, not only infective endocarditis, you can get septic thrombophlebitis, so um, or superficial clots that get infected, um, mycotic aneurysms. Ugh. That's not good. And then sepsis, of course. So the risks or the rates, excuse me, if they have a left-sided infective endocarditis is similar to rates in non-drug users, but it's the right-sided, so that tricuspid yep. valve, whenever you have any type of education, vegetation, um, 70% of cases will be actually that staph aureus from IV drug use. Hmm. So. so how do you know somebody's got this, Dr. Bell? Come on, how? <laughs> Fever, shortness of breath, they will have some type of this chest pain, cough, Plus or minus murmur. I mean, you always have to listen for a murmur in a patient who you know is injecting drugs, especially if it's a new murmur. So you almost got to listen all the time. Anytime they have a relapse, you just got to be sure. And of course, the mortality rate with it is, you know, it's around 5% or a mm -hmm. little less, but still, that's pretty significant once you get that kind of infection. And you got to be careful because depending on where it is, you know, that infection can spread to the brain, to the spleen, can cause other infective embolization. So it can spread quickly throughout the endovascular system. Um, it is rare to have endocarditis and different types of infections, but anytime you got that murmur, you got to worry about the, um, the valves. And of course, we're talking prolonged IV antibiotics. And, you know, you're going to want to focus on that the same as you would for a non-IV drug user, about that six weeks. But here's where you always run into the magical problems is how do you do this? Do you do this as an outpatient? Because they don't typically need to be inpatient. But now you're sending someone out with a pick line. I got one of these going right now. And unfortunately, um, we're putting lots of stuff right in our access, which has caused us more problems. Right, so, so it yeah. increases the risk of, I mean, that's an easy injection site for a person who's early in recovery, who's not in recovery. Um, they don't have to look for a vein, they just have that port right there. Um, also risks of unstable housing, you have concerns about follow-up, as we've mentioned before, um, to make sure this does get cleared and they're using the antibiotics appropriately, even if they're going to infusion centers. Um, and so sometimes they have to do a long-term long inpatient stay. Yeah, and when do they fix these? Well, they don't fix them right away, you know. They they wait for a while. They like to clean up the infection, then put that valve in. Of course, the last thing you want is an infected valve. If they get an infected valve, your survival is only about 40% at 10 years. So if they do that surgery right away. Yeah, no good. Now, what I've noticed with my patient who had this cardiology, right or wrong, they made... They wanted to ensure that she was in recovery for a good six months before they did this valve because they, the risk of an infected 
whether it's a porcine or a mechanical valve, it's just so high. Um, the mortality and morbidity is just so high. Yeah, I suspect. Uh, I suspect that's probably a little different depending on where you are and and how how your recovery is going. But yeah, I mean, you don't want the valve to go down. So, all right. So that was that was a quick overview that didn't go as quickly as we thought it would. So I, I'm glad I we it was gonna be like three minutes. <laughs> we separated those out. So next week we will do part two of the infection drug use, um, the IV drug use, bacterial infections, excuse me, starting with the pulmonary type infections, going into some of the more rare infections, which um, are just fascinating to me. So we will chat at you next week. Battle legs. Dreams of a river that will run down to the sea. Like my heart longs for an ocean to wash down over me. Oh, won't you take me from this valley to the mountain high above? I will pray, pray, pray till I see your smiling face. I will pray, pray, pray to one I love. All the outcast dreams of acceptance just to find your love's embrace. Like an orphan longs for its mother. Smile.